Welcome to the And who better to guide us than, as always, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome back, Gary. Well, thanks for having me back. <laughs> so, if you would be so kind, this is Chapter 14. Can you give us a quick recap of... Oh, I got rid of my head. Epic swords ready for you to hear the sword fighting go on. But uh, uh, if you give us a recap of the... Chapter 13, that would be great. And then uh, tell us what we have to look forward to in Chapter 14. Well, um, this, these chapters are all about war. And uh, Chapter 13 uh, was about how Poseidon uh, urged on the Achaeans or the Greeks to defend the ships because Hector and the Trojans were trying to attack the ships and burn the ships so the Greeks would have no escape and then hopefully slaughter the Greeks. And so that's basically what that chapter was about. So when last we left, the Greeks being urged on by Poseidon, of course, the god of the sea, also controls earthquakes, which we had one here uh, just a couple of days ago. And you have told me that I need to uh, warn the listener, chapter 14 could be pretty racy. Is that yes. what you were saying? Okay, so... Give us, uh, let's jump right into it. Tell us, tell us about chapter 14. Well, like I always do on these um, uh, podcasts, uh, I, I start with the uh, Harvard 1883 little synopsis by Andrew Lang, Waterleaf, and Ernest Myers. And uh, th their little synopsis of the chapter is how sleep, and sleep is a god, uh, and Hera, the queen of the gods, as they put it, beguiled Zeus, which is actually understating what she did, to slumber on, on the heights of uh, Mount Ida. Okay, chapter 14 uh, continues the war, but in a, a pretty dramatic way, as we'll find out. And uh, it, it's the sexiest chapter in the Iliad, in my opinion. Robert Fagels uh, has a, a title for the chapter. He calls Hera Outflanks Zeus. I think a better word would be Hera seduces Zeus. And so um, the chapter starts off like this, but the mounting cries of war would not escape old Nestor. Now, Nestor is one of the kings of the Greeks that Agamemnon led against the Trojans. And um, so it would not escape old Nestor. He turned to Asclepius' son. Now, Asclepius is a god of medicine, god of healing. Mm-hmm. And his son was the like the the surgeon or the doctor, the main one for the Greeks. 
And uh, so with an urgent winged word, he says, Think, noble Machion, what shall we do now? The cries are fiercer, fighters beside the ships. You sit here drinking wine. Uh, and, and, and Hecamede draws your warm bath, etc. But I am off. Uh, you know, in other words, he wants to go off and urge the Greeks to uh, fight back and defend the ships. Right. And with that, Nestor sealed the well-wrought shield of glowing bronze and so on, and then he rushes off. And uh, so he... He, uh, so they say the old man um, rushed out, and he went to find Agamemnon, Lord of Armies. And his mind was in tur- turmoil. This way seemed the best. He'd head for Atreus's son. Atreus's son is Agamemnon. But other soldiers kept on flailing, cutting each other to pieces. The tough bronze casing their bodies, clanging out, fighters stabbing with swords, flinging two-edged spears. So the war is raging on here. Um, and then he goes in, uh, to the other kings. Nestor goes to the other kings. Uh, Diomedes, Odysseus, and Agamemnon. And uh, so he, he really urges them to fight on, you know, fight back, don't give up, because Agamemnon is about ready to give up. You know, and um, so he says, uh, Agamemnon is talking. He says, I'm filled with fear the breakneck Hector will bring his sword to pass. The threat he hurled against me once in a Trojan muster that he would never leave our ships and return to Troy till he torched our holes and slaughtered all our men. That was the prince's threat. But uh, the noble old uh, horseman, meaning uh, Nestor, says, True, too true, the disaster is upon us. Uh, and so um, he says, you know, death, death cries are hitting the skies and so on. But he's urging Agamemnon to, to fight on. And so he does turn Agamemnon around. And he says, and so Nestor's saying, obey me now, all vessels beached on the front of the shore. Haul them down. No, this is, excuse me, this is Agamemnon talking. Haul them down and row them out to the sea, you know, to escape being burnt, you know. Uh, but um, uh, Odysseus overhears this with a dark glance. The shrewd tactician Odysseus wheeled on his commander Agamemnon. What's this? This talk of, slips from your clenched teeth? You are the disaster. Would to God that you command another army and so on. So he berates um, uh, Agamemnon, you know, and, and urges them to, to fight on, you know, until they can uh, conquer the broad streets of Troy, you know. Okay. Uh, so the sceptered king, meaning Agamemnon, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Odysseus is going on. You fill me with contempt. You tell us to haul our oar-swept vessels out to sea just so one more glory can come to these Trojans? You know, basically saying, no way. He says, your plan will kill us all. And so it goes on. At that, the king of the Greeks, Agamemnon, backed down. A painful charge, Odysseus, straight to the heart. I'm hardly the man to order men against their will. 
to haul our vessels out to sea. So now, whoever can find a better plan, let them speak up. And then Diomedes, uh, Homer calls him Lord of the War Cry, steps forward. And he says that, you know, he's he's willing to help lead the counterattack against the uh, Hector and the, and the Trojans. So and essentially, said, Agamemnon, as the leader of the Greeks, has kind of, he's sort of given in. That he's got all these guys to get together to go to Troy to fight the Trojans, to get Helen back ostensibly, that whole idea. And now he's kind of just, you know, in a ball, crumbled up, you know, curled up in a ball. And the other guys are yeah. like, hey, we need to go fight. You know, you brought us here for a reason. So let's yes. get at it. Let's get after it. Okay. Okay. So, in other words, don't, don't, don't give up and sail away and shameful uh, defeat, but fight on and, and hopefully win, you know? Okay. So the, so the audience, Gary, I'm sure they're asking, where's the racy part? Um, well, that's coming now. Okay, so how, so uh, let us let us hear what's happening. What what does that come? Well, first we got to talk about um, Poseidon, the famous god of the earthquakes, according to Homer, and, and like he's you said, we just had an earthquake in the LA god, area. He? Yeah, he's a, isn't he of the earthquake, sea, and horses, right? Yes. And what a fascinating tr- uh, trinity! What a fascinating trio of. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, to associate them with with uh, earthquakes and horses seems a little strange to me. But uh, that's well, it's, well, I guess the sea and the, we know the tides and the earthquake. We, there, there's some connection there, right? And but the horses—that's really interesting. Maybe the galloping hooves, the sound of the quake. Uh, who knows? But it's a it's a really beautiful. I mean, he has a very uh, cool and interesting uh, portfolio. Oh, yes. things that he oversees. So, okay, so you're saying about Poseidon. He says, uh, but the famous god of earthquakes was not blind. No, Poseidon kept his watch, and down he came, you know, from uh, Mount Olympus, you know. And uh, with a shattering cry, he searched across the, the, the plain of Troy, thundering loud as nine or 10,000 combat soldiers. Now, Nine and ten are sacred numbers. I keep saying that I, I think I discovered the sacred symbolic number system embedded in Homer, and so he mentions nine and ten, you know. Uh, for example, there are nine muses, which are mentioned later in the chapter, and it took ten years, you know, for the war to end. Right, and for the listener, we have an episode uh, just on the sacred symbolic numbers, so please look for it. It's on, on the Parallax channel. So it says, with a shriek like Ares, you know, the, the god of war, fury, when massive armies clash, the voice of the god of the earthquake let loose his lungs, planting an enor- enormous martial power to each Greek's heart to urge the battle on, to fight and never flinch. And now we get to the sexy part. Now Hera, po- poised on her golden throne, looked down from uh, aloft on Mount Olympus. And uh, her heart raced with joy. So she's supporting the Greeks against the Trojans. But right now, Zeus, the king of the gods, is letting Hector win. So she wants to counter that, okay? And so, uh, you know, the, the fact that he's doing this, uh, quote, filled her heart with loathing. What could, what could she do? Queen Hera wondered. Uh, could she outmaneuver Zeus, the mastermind? and so on. 
And at last, one strategy struck her mind as best. You know, she would go to Mount Ida, which is like the second Mount Olympus. Mount Ida is uh, close to Troy. That's where uh, Zeus was, you know. And she would awaken his desire, you know, the, to lie with her naked body and make immortal love. So, so then she goes to um, uh, her chamber that was built by her son, Hephaestus, who built the architecture for the gods, also the jewelry and so on. Um, right, right. And uh, she uses ambrosia. She cleanses her enticing body uh, and, and rubs her body with deep olive rub. You know, it's, it's interesting, though. Hera, you said he, she cleanses her enticing body. We don't often think of Hera as being enticing, right? So that's that's really interesting, right? Yes. And it's and I, I, and I say this because we've talked about Hera before. We've talked about how she becomes the embodiment of sort of the Greek, misogynistic Greek view of women in many ways. And so, but here we have her in shown in a an enticing light. Of course, it's in the context of her enticing the great man, quote unquote. But it's interesting just to see that. Anyway, sorry, please go on. So she fixes her hair and so on. And uh, sleek and luxurious, shining down from her uh, head, they fell, her, meaning her hair. Uh, and uh, and then she swirled her wondrous robes that Athena wove for her, brushed with a high gloss, and uh, and then worked into a weft, an elegant rose brocade. She pinned them across her breast with a golden brooch, and then sashed her waist with a waistband, floating a hundred tassels into her, and then into her earlobe she put earrings. So she's really, you know, dressing herself up to make a, make herself look attractive as possible, you know? Dolling herself up, as they used to say, right? Yeah. And she puts on a headdress and everything, and then uh, fresh veils. And so Hera, queen of the gods, glimmered sheen like the rising sun. And under her feet, she fastened sa supple sandals. Now dazzling with all her rich uh, regalia, she beckons Aphrodite, the goddess of love. So she goes to uh, Aphrodite, and she says, Dear child, meaning Aphrodite, would you do me a favor, whatever I might ask? And Aphrodite, the daughter of Zeus, replied at once, Hera, queen of the skies, daughter of mighty Kronos, tell me what's on your mind. I'm eager to do it, whatever I can do, whatever can be done. And then it goes on, Quick with treachery, noble Hera answered, Give me love, give me longing now, the powers that you used to overwhelm all gods and mortal men. I am off to the ends to, full, to uh, be fruitful, uh, and so on. And uh, so she asked her to make her sexy, you know, and, and irresistible, you know. And she said, um, and Aphrodite, smiling, her everlasting smile, replied, uh, it's, it's wrong to deny your warm request since you're the one who lies in the arms of mighty Zeus. With that, she loosed from her breast, meaning Aphrodite, the, the breastband. She wears a breastband. And the breastband has, quote, every kind of enchantment woven through it. There is the heat of love, the pulsing rush of longing, 
the lover's whisper, irresistible, magic to make the sanest man go mad. So she says, here now, take this band, put it between your breast. The world lies in the weaving and so on. And uh, so she says, you know, she won't fail. She wears this, you know. So hair breaks into smiles, her eyes wide with a smile. She tucked the band between her breasts. And Aphrodite, the daughter of Zeus, went home. And then Hera sped with a flash to, from Mount Olympus's peak. So then she goes to uh, the god Zeus, uh, Sleep, who's the twin brother of death. Mm-hmm. And she oh, says, that's, Sleep. That's a, re- that's, that's a really uh, wonderful uh, convention, conceit, that Sleep is the twin brother of death. Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, sleep, sleep is called hypnos and by the Greeks, you know, like hypnotic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and death is called thanatos. Thanatos, right. But uh, just the idea that sleep and death being twin brothers, I think that's brilliant. So. And so, uh, so she goes to him, she says, sleep, master of the gods and all mortal men. If ever you listen to me, do what I ask you now. And so she says, put Zeus to sleep for me, seal his shining eyes as soon as I've gone to bed with him, locked in love, and I will give you gifts. So she offers him a bribe, which I think is interesting to bribe gods, you know. So she offers him a magnificent throne of of solid gold. He says, my own son, Hephaestus, the burly, crippled uh, blacksmith, will forge it for you, and so on. So sleep complies, you know, he he helps out the goddess. And uh, so, um, so anyhow, on with it, sleep cried, you know, and uh, so on. But he also tells Herod to swear by the river Styx that she will give him the bribe of the, you know. Right. So he he, he makes her swear, you know, that, uh, that she will definitely give him the bribe. I think that's interesting. Well, we see time and time and time again with the Greek gods. They're scandalous. They are yes. scandalous. They are. They are. They can be reprehensible, and they it just having them keep their word is something that you need to really ensure and work at. So I totally get it. All right. So so sleep sleep gets to where Zeus is on Mount Ida, and he climbs up a lofty, towering pine tree and hides there like. A, like a bird with a shrill cry, uh, like the night hawk, it says. But then Hera, uh, you know, uh, scales up Gargarian Peak where Zeus is, the highest crest of, uh, you know, Ida's like a little mountain chain, and uh, Gargarian is the highest peak. And um, and so at, at, at once, lust came over his eyes, making his heart race fast as if it were the first time, and so on. And then it says, they rolled in bed, they locked and searched in love. So there was the seducism. The steamy then, part um, starts, right, okay. And then, um, you know, she's she's going fast and hard at him, apparently, and, and uh, so Zeus says to her, why hurry, Hera? Um, and uh, uh, now he said, "Now, no, let, let's, let's go to bed. Let's lose ourselves in love. Never has such lust for a goddess or mortal woman flooded my pounding heart." And then he goes on to talk about all the other 
uh, seductions he's made, some of them. Wait, he's telling about the seductions to Hera? Yeah, how about that? And, and this is Hera not in another form. It's Hera as Hera, yes. as his wife. So he's telling his wife, wow, you're really, you look fantastic. I mean, I've been with plenty of women since we've been married. That Literally, that's what he's saying. That's literally what he's saying. He says, I made love to Ixion's wife who bore me uh, Um I loved Acrisius' daughter, Dene, and uh, who bore Perseus. Remember Perseus? Yeah, no, he's got, a, I mean, he's got obviously uh, a set said, of I, I, there I, to say that. I, I stormed, meaning he, you know, he made love to Europa, the far-famed uh, He's telling, his, he's, telling, he's telling his wife this. That's amazing. Yeah. So Zeus is now telling his wife about his affairs. And so what happens? How does Hera react to Zeus telling her about, you know, which is, again, bizarre because he's trying to impress his wife with how desirable she is compared to the other women he slept with since they've been married. Only the Greek gods would do this. So what, what's Hera's reaction to this? How does she react to this? Well, apparently helping the Greeks is more important than, uh, you know, the way she's being uh, treated by her husband, you know? Well, I guess good for the Greeks, not so much for Hera, but okay. Yeah, Homer goes on. He says, teeming with treachery, noble Hera led him on. And she says, dread majesty, majesty," meaning Zeus, son of uh, Kronos, and so on. You're eager for bed now, you know? burning to make love here on Ida's Heights for all the world to see, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyhow. Um, so, so they she, make love. Yeah, she seduces him. And um, and, uh, and and Zeus says, um, yes. And, um, and he says, Hera, nothing to fear. No God or, uh, or man will see us. I will wrap us round in a golden cloud so dense not even the sun's rays, the sharpest eyes in the world, will be able to pierce and glimpse us making love. And uh, and it goes on to say they made love, and the and the uh, the earth burst with fresh green grass and flowers. <laughs> wow, I still find this amazing. The golden cloud is a beautiful image. Um, just his whole behavior is unbelievable. Okay, so they make love, flowers bloom. Angels fly and then, about, and then sleep. Know. Sleep does his work and puts Zeus to sleep. Okay, so they make love. They fall asleep. Uh, the the gods. No, no, not uh, Hera, but Zeus. But Zeus does, yeah. Um, okay, so now that she's gotten that, gotten Zeus to sleep, what's what's the next game? Okay, so then, um, um, you know, we get back to the war and. Um, so the thing is, uh, Poseidon is urging on the Greeks. And he says, so, so come, follow my orders. I'll obey me now, you know. And it says, attack, and I will lead the way. And so Poseidon is leading the, the Greeks uh, against the Trojans. And, uh, and so he leads uh, Diomedes, Odysseus, and Agamemnon, and so on. And he says, they strapped on their bronze around their bodies, and out they moved, and the god of earthquake led them on, you know? Amazing. And it says, okay. And then uh, then it turns to Hector. You know, glorious Hector was 
ranged uh, range, range as Trojans. And, uh, but, but the blue-haired god of the sea, you know, Poseidon has blue hair apparently, like the ocean. Um, and uh, so he's, he's encountered with, uh, you know, Ajax encounters Hector and they have a terrific uh, battle. And, um, you know, Hector hurls his spear at uh, Ajax, but it's a, quote, a wasted shot, so on. But as Hector backed away, great Ajax seized a great rock, a holding stone for fast-trimmed ships. In other words, it was an anchor stone for a ship, which are big, by the way. And he heated it at Hector's chest and struck him right over the uh, shield rim. The blow sent Hector whirling off. Like a whirling, uh, like a whipping top, and uh, Hector plunged into the dust. And then the shouting squads of Achaeans raced in for the kill, but too fast for them were the ring of Trojan chiefs: Aeneas, Polydamus, and royal prince Agenor, Sarpedon, and valiant uh, Glaucus. They pitched in, bracing their thick, bulging shields to cover Hector, and so they dragged him to safety, you know. And they put him in a, a blazing chariot, and back to Troy they bore him. And so Hector caught his breath, his eyes cleared. He crouched down on his knees and vomited dark clots, I guess, of blood, you know. Boy, yeah, that's pretty intense. Okay, It's pretty gripping, I, I think, you know. It is. But but then the Greek units, spotting Hector in full retreat, charge the Trojans harder, and then the Trojans give way, you know? And so it talks about Ajax killing more Trojans and stuff like that, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, the, so the tide turns favorably for the Greeks. Yes. Okay. And... Uh, and it says, and the knees of, you know, this is getting close to the end, and the knees of every Trojan shook with fear, each veteran frantic, glancing left and right, how to escape this sudden plunging death. And then he closes, he says, Sing to me now, you muses who hold the halls of Olympus. Who was the first Greek to drag off bloody spoils as the famous god of earthquakes turned the tide? Telemonian Ajax brought down Herdius, and then he's talking about the different ones he killed and stuff like that. Toyser cut down Periphetes and Protheon. Menelaus uh, killed uh, Hyperenor, and so on. But Ajax killed the most. No one alive could run down, could run men down and flight like him. Once Zeus whipped the enemy ranks to blinding panic riot rout. Excuse me, and that's the way the chapter ends. Very significant. Very significant. Very. Um, uh, very profound things occur in the chapter, both in terms of, I find problematic, but also just in terms of profound, in terms of the relations with the gods, relations to the armies, tides turning. So this is a really important chapter for people. It's an important uh, so chapter, and I, I think it's just, it not only has the, uh, the terrible, uh, you know, rage of war, but it also has the seduction of Zeus. Like I said, it's the sexiest chapter in the Iliad. Yeah, very important chapter. So if you're a student and, and you're listening, if you're someone just looking to learn about the Iliad and you're listening, 
this is one to really pay attention to as you go through that chapter. Gary, I want to thank you as always. Let's thank Dr. Gary Stickle. Well, thank, thank you, Sean. I've always enjoyed this, these uh, podcasts. Yeah, we've got more to come. And this is Sean Marlon Newcomb. This is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. We've been discussing Chapter 14 of the Iliad. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Take care.